read to us uh, chapter 15. Um, Before she does, I just want to say something and then pray. Is that okay? So I just want to say this. I want to, I I love preaching. I love doing this. And there's weeks when I love it more than others. This is one of those weeks where the passage of scripture just would not crack open. It wouldn't. It was stubborn. I don't know whether it was me or whether it's just the passage. It took a lot, of more, a lot more work, and it was a little more difficult. And I still think there's so much more here than I see or understand, let alone I'm going to be able to explain this morning. And so I just want to say how grateful I am that I never feel like you are expecting me to do something amazing, because I never do. But I don't feel the pressure from you. And so I just want to thank you for that. I just want to thank you for never making me feel like this is like a performance or something. I feel like we're a family in a big family room, having fun together, enjoying God and his word. And so I just want to confess to you ahead of time, I'm feeling very inadequate this morning (laughs) and almost like, I don't even know if this is going to help. So I hope it helps. I want to pray to that end and the grace is going to read. So let me just pray. Lord Jesus, I do believe this morning that your word is living and is active and is sharper than a two-edged sword. I believe that it will accomplish this morning what it's meant to accomplish, even though I don't understand exactly what you want to accomplish. (laughs) And God, I'm grateful for that. I I pray that you would, um, as I pray every week, help us and meet each one of my friends exactly where they're at. Lord, I know that some in this room have had a really hard week. Others have had a really fun week. Um, Some are not feeling well spiritually. They just feel like their faith is weak, and some are triumphing. Um, in their faith. And so I know that you have the ability to encourage every person in this room exactly where they're at at this moment. And so I ask you to do that. Lord, I don't even know exactly how you want to use this sermon, but you do, and you know your people, and you know what you're going to say and what you're going to do in our hearts. And so I just ask with faith for you to do that. I ask you to give faith to my brothers and sisters in this room that they would believe that, that you have, you have something for them this morning. And may, they, may their hearts be sitting on the edge of their chair waiting for that moment when you speak, waiting for that moment when you cut in and say something to them that builds their faith and gives them hope and gives them courage. God, would you do that, I pray, to each person in this room. Meet us, I ask. Help us as Grace reads your word this morning. Even as she's reading it, help us to understand it. Help us to believe it. Help us to love it. And then help us to want to respond to it in whatever ways you call us to respond. Do that work, I ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Genesis 15. Sorry, Grace, hold on. No, it's me. You think. There you go. Try again. Good morning. All right, Genesis 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. 
But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down to the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephraim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. This is the word of the Lord. Praise Praise God. God. Amen. Well, last week we did verses 1 through 6 together, and we couched that little section with a little saying that went like this. God is going to do everything in Abram's life that God needs to do so that Abram will know God the way God wants Abram to know God so that God gets the amen. I love being wordy. There's probably a better way to shorten that. But the idea is God does things in, in Abram's life and in your life different than he does in my life and other people's lives so that we will know him in different ways so that we need one another in community so that we can really know the wholeness or the fullness of God. That was the point of last week. And so God did some things in Abram's life so he wouldn't fear. He told him that he was going to be his great reward and his protector. And so uh, we concluded from that that Abram's faith in that, believing that, amening that, was credited to him as righteousness, that he became righteous because of that. So last week was all about the people, if that makes sense. It was about him having an heir. The second half, the part we're going to look at this morning, we're going to finish the chapter, is about the land. It's all about the land, and it's about the covenant that God is going to cut with Abraham, confirming that he is actually going to get the land, concluding that he will actually get the land. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this story, I go, okay, maybe I'm just, I'm just self-focused. What's in it for me? Or like, what does this have to do with me? And so I think I can argue this morning that one of the things this has to do with for us is that when we watch how God interacts with Abram, it begins to set into motion the way that God interacts with all of humans for all time. So when we see God doing things, we see his character, how he operates, how he deals with people, how he interacts with people, explode out of Genesis, and it develops in a story so that we can learn more and more about how God interacts with people. And this morning, specifically, how God interacts with people through covenants, through a covenant. And, and what is a covenant? How does God work in covenant? And so God is now going to reveal himself to Abram as a covenant maker, because God wants Abram to know him as a covenant maker 
so that Abram will give God the amen. That's really the, the point of the story this morning. We want to see how God relates to Abram because it's relevant to how God relates to us. In order to do this, I think, to understand this clearly, we have to go to a New Testament verse first that I think helps give us some way to interpret what we're going to see this morning in these verses. Usually we wait and we teach some from Genesis and then figure out where does the New Testament speak into it. Well, this morning I want to begin with the New Testament and let that be the thread or the skeleton that holds together this passage. So there's a verse here that's going to go on the screen for us to look at. It's longer. All I want you to do for the first part is look at how the word promise and the word oath. That's another word for covenant. So this is about a covenant and an oath. This is specifically talking about the covenant God's going to make later in Genesis. But there's a principle about covenants that we take from this and we need to bring into chapter 15. Does that make sense? So if you read this in context, you go, Matt, that's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about chapter 15. It's talking about chapter, I forget what it is, 18 or 20, where God actually says what he says here. But there's a principle about covenants. So here we go. So I'm going to read the first part so you understand it's about that. And then I'm going to give you the punchline, which is in italics near the end. So For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. That quote is from another place in Genesis that we'll look at in a few weeks. And thus Abraham, having waited, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. Now, here's the sentence I want us to to grab a hold of. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, that's us, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. Now, you're reading this the first time. I'm reading it for the hundredth time. Go back to that. So when, so when God, what does God do? He desires to show more convincingly to us that he is unchangeable in character. So the point of a promise or a covenant, the one we're going to see in Genesis 15, is God wants to show you more convincingly. God wants to convince you this morning that his character is unchangeable. And so this promise, this covenant in Genesis 15, is meant to produce that in you. It's meant to have you go, I am more confident now in God's character And that when God has purposes, he gets to them and he does not change. Does that make sense? See, God's will, God's purpose, God's ways are grounded and anchored in his unchangeable character. So when God makes an oath or a promise, it is to show us and convince us that God's character will not change. That's really important. That means that the way that God interacts with people remains consistent. Now, if that wasn't the case, we'd be in trouble. Right? I mean, imagine if, if you all came one morning and I went up to all of you guys and I gave you all candy. And then the next week, you guys came and I started stealing all your stuff. The next week, I'm like, hey, kids, run around and have fun. And the next week, I was like, sit down and be quiet. You can't have fun in here. You would be all confused, right? Well, the same is true of God. God's character remains the same. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't act one way one time and another way different. So here in Genesis 15, he's, he's putting down a covenant 
for Abram that we will benefit from, but he's also showing us at very first stages in Genesis what his character is like, that he's not going to change. That when God says he's going to do something, he makes a promise, it is going to happen. And so really God's showing off. He's showing off in Genesis 15. He's like, I'm going to show you how great my promises are, and I'm going to prove to you that they cannot be thwarted, and they cannot change, and they won't change. Because once I say I'm going to do something, it happens. And so that's really where we're going this morning through this passage. So what I'm going to do is just show you things about God that I think Abram probably noticed. I mean, remember, Abram knows nothing about God, right? I mean, he only knows a teeny little bit. And so when God shows up and speaks, I'm sure Abram's going, oh, is it, it's that God again. Is he going to crush me this time? Is, what is he going to do or say? And so he's literally getting out, I think, his, like, his little journal and probably writing down, like, all right, here's what this God is like. Right? He, he's collecting attributes of God, and he's writing them down because he doesn't know much. But God really gives him some things here to, I think, hang his hat on, some things to really know about God. So I want to, I want to begin by looking at verse 7. I want you to look at verse 7. Let me get you interacting with me for a moment. There are, I see four things in verse 7 that I learn about God, that I think Abram learned about God. And these are things I'm not sure that Abram knew about God prior to verse 7. So verse 7 says, And he said to him, God said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. What is something you learn about God? Just from those, that one verse. Okay, good. That's my fourth one, but it's on my list. He is generous. I don't have that down. He speaks. He has the power to give land. He saves. How does God introduce himself? He declares he's the Lord. You see those first little twos? What are the first words he says? I am. That, that's God declaring, I am the I am. We, we hear that later in scripture. He's saying, basically, I'm it and there's nobody else that compares to me. I'm it. I'm supreme. I'm on top. I'm transcendent. I am self-existing. I have no beginning and I have no end. I am. I just exist perfectly all the time, everywhere. He's establishing that. And then he uses the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, which is Yahweh, right? He's saying, I am the self-existing supreme Jehovah. So he's communicating to Abram right out of the gate of who he is. And then he clarifies. So first I would just say God is God, and there's no one like him. It's the first thing that Abram gets from this. The second is God pursues people. I mean, look what he says. I'm the one who called you out of Er. I'm the one that called you out. God pursues people. He went to him and called him out. And I have to wonder if Abram's like, so this God is speaking to me now. Is this the same God that spoke to me last time, or is this a different God? Like, I'm not sure if at this point he even knows there's only one. And so maybe God is saying, I'm going to make sure you know that I'm the, one who, I'm the same one. There's only one, and I'm the one that called you out of the land of Ur. So he, he pursues people. He calls people. And then one of you guys already said that he is gracious. He's a giver. In verse 7, it says he's going to give you this land. That's what God does. He, he's going to give the land for Abram to possess. So last week, we talked about how he's going to give him offspring. That's the first part of the promise. The second part, he's going to give those offspring a place to live. And he's going to give it to them. 
This is repeated in verse 18. Look down at verse 18. He says, I give this land. In the Hebrew, it's, it's strong. It's, I have already given it to you. You already have it. It's done. It's not like you might get it or maybe I'll give it to you. It's already a done fact. You already have the land. So this really is God's graciousness to Abram to tell him it's already a done deal. It's your land. And it's gracious because Abram didn't ask for land. He didn't earn the land. He's not deserving of the land. He's not going to pay for the land. Basically, the land is just given to him already, no strings attached. It's yours, which means your future behavior is not going to determine whether or not you get the land. It's already yours, and it's already for your people. Fourth thing I see in this, actually it's in verse 8. You jump down to verse 8. I want you to look at how Abram responds to God. We see something about God in this. Verse 8, but he said, O Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? So Abram asks a question, doesn't he? And how does God respond? Does God correct Abram? No. Does, does God chastise Abram? No, he's going he's gonna to answer his question in a roundabout way. He's going to entertain his question, but he doesn't correct Abram in any way. He understands that Abram has questions. And in fact, Romans 4 gives us a little insight into what's happening in Abram's heart, which is so helpful. Some think that this is like Abram really doubting God. And I don't think that's the case. Romans 4, verse 20, says this. No distrust made him, that's Abram, waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So this helps me to see when Abram's asking his question, he wasn't wavering. Oh God, I don't know. And back and forth. No, this is the process for him to grow strong. He's not wavering, but he's growing strong. I hope you have those categories. We, we've talked about wavering when we were in Hebrews, about how we can, we can waver in our faith. I think my, my hope, Tyler Jordan's hope for us, is that none of you will waver. You won't waver away from the faith, but that you're in a process of growing stronger in your faith. It's a process you get a little stronger week after week, but you don't waver away from the faith. You don't wander away from the faith. And my prayer for this church is that we be a church filled with people who say, I know I'm prone to wander, but I want to grow stronger. I know that I can wander, but I don't want to. I want to grow stronger. And that when any of us are wandering or even beginning to waver, that we can come alongside of each other and say, let's grow strong together. Look, if this isn't the place for you to come and say, my faith is wavering. I feel weak. I, sometimes I, I really get confused about what I even believe. If this isn't the place to share those things, then there is nowhere to share those things. And so this needs to be that place. So that we can come alongside of each other and say, let's grow strong in our faith together. I hope you hear that. I hope if you're here this morning, like, man, my faith just feels really weak and tired. That you know that you should be able to share that with any member of Christ Church. 
And their response should be, let me help you get strong. Let's, let's join together in a process of helping your faith to grow. That is why we're here, is to help one another. So I think God's unchangeable character, in this case, is he's patient with us. Aren't you glad he's patient? The stupid things we do, the things we think, decisions we make, that all reveal that our faith is confused sometimes. And yet God is so patient, waiting, caring, helping us so that our faith will go, grow strong. So what does God do to help Abram's faith grow strong? Well, it tells us in verse 9. Verse 9 is confusing for those of us who live in 2022. Let's read what God does to build Abram's faith. And he said to him, bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. God, how do I know I'm going to inherit the land? Well, bring me some animals. <laughs> right? We read that and we're like, what is going on? Why, why is this happening? Well, apparently Abram knew exactly why this was happening because he knew what to do with them. So the story goes on. What does Abram do? He gets them, verse 10, and he brought him, that's Abram brought God all the pieces, all, all the animals, and he cuts them in half, and he lays each half over against the other. Okay, so let's, let's explain. Abram knew what he was doing here, and we know what was happening primarily because there's a parallel passage in Jeremiah where it kind of explains what's going on, and there's also some historical evidence that shows that Abram knew what was going on. So here's what he does. He's taken the heifer, the goat, and the ram, and he cuts them in half. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever hacked an animal in half. It's not a pretty experience. <laughs> he lays them on the ground. So, so I don't even know. I don't know whether he filleted it or head and, I don't know how he did it, but he's hacking animals up. Half the ram is here. Half the ram is here. Half the goat is here. Half the goat is here. Half the heifer is here. Half the heifer is there. Pigeon, turtle dove. And then you would say to your friend, Gene, I'm going to sell you my truck. And when you pay me, you can have it. And then Gene and I would walk through the middle. Me saying, when you pay me, you actually, I'm going to give you the truck and not stiff you. And Gene saying, when I, when I take the truck, I'm going to pay you. And we would walk together through the bloody carcasses on the ground as a way of saying, if I don't hold up my end of the bargain, may that happen to me. May I be cut in half. May my flesh be destroyed. May I be a bloody mess if I don't hold up to my end of the deal. So that's how covenants were made. It wasn't, we do it so wimpy, don't we? Sign on the bottom line. I mean, come on. Like, give me a break. So I, don't, I haven't had a chance to talk to the guys about this, but I think if we're going to apply this the right way, as we go to sign the contract with Mountain Full Gospel Church, we're actually going to get animals. And instead of... If any, of you want to get, if any of you want to get married, instead of a marriage contract, we're going to line animals up. And as you walk through, you say, if I break my vows. So it was serious. This was a serious deal. Like you were saying, may I be hacked in half if I don't hold up my end 
of the bargain. That, that's what's going on here. And this does seem strange to us, doesn't it? It's even stranger when you read that Abram is standing around keeping birds from eating the carcasses. I'm like, why is that there? Like, and if you read it, at the end of verse 6, there's stars in the sky, and he's now still interacting with God, and the sun is now going down. So how many hours is the dude out there keeping the birds away? And what's the point? <laughs> Some say the point is that uh, Abram will play a part in keeping the prey from attacking Israel in the years to come. That's a stretch for me. I wonder if part of this is just teaching Abram patience. If I'm there and I hack the animals in half, and I'm thinking, okay, it's covenant time, God, let's go. I don't know how you're going to show up, but we're going to walk through here. And I'm going, okay, did I mishear God? Like, what's happening? I'm shooing animals away. I'm waiting longer and longer. And I'm thinking, can we just do this covenant thing? Let's go. But God has him wait. And then what's even stranger for me anyway, this is part of the puzzle this week, is before they actually go through the animals, we've got the details of the contract. Do you see that? This is like God sets it up, and then verses 12 to 16 are all the rules and regulations. <laughs> it's the fine print. It's God saying, okay, it's not just you getting the land, but here's some things also that are going to happen as part of this promise and part of this covenant. Does that make sense? And then he finally seals the covenant. So we've got this middle section where God says a whole bunch of stuff, and that's stuff that also reveals God's character that God's character is unchanging. And so let's take a minute and let's look at those and let's see how God's character unchanges through this detail of the covenant. So verse 12. The sun was going down and a deep sleep falls on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain. I love that. Be confident, Abram. Believe this. Your offspring will be... Okay, what's up now? Bad news. Sojourners, but I just I thought we were just going to get the land. But look what God lays on him. You will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years? I mean, this, this is shocking to Abram. We know the story. 400 years. I mean, Abram's, this is landing on Abram. Like, what on earth is going on? There's going to be this season of 400 years before God's people get the land. And God is telling Abram this because God knows this is part of the plan. And so God wants Abram to know ahead of time that his promise, his character, isn't thwarted by 400 years. It's still going to happen, Abram. It's going to happen. No time can stop my promises from coming true. And so here we see God's people are going to suffer for a very long time. Yet they will not, it will not expose that God somehow is not a covenant keeper. That God's character is flawed in some way. All right, now for us, there's three words that describe what they're going to experience. Do you see the three words? They are going to be sojourners, servants, and afflicted. Sojourner, servant, afflicted. 
Do any of those sound familiar to us? What does it say in Peter, 1 Peter, that we are sojourners? We spend so much time trying to establish ourselves on this earth, right? I got my house and my retirement fund and all these things. And God's saying, you're supposed to think about your life as just passing through. You're a sojourner. So they were sojourners, and guess what? So are we. He describes them as, the second one, as servants. Does that not sound familiar? I mean, what, what does Jesus call us to do, right? We, we're supposed to give up our lives or others, serve one another. So I know theirs was forced upon them in a very different way. But isn't the same true for us that we are to be servants? So we're sojourners, we're servants. And what's the third one? Afflicted. Afflicted. Do you know how many times the word afflicted is used in the New Testament to describe what's happening to the believers? It's over and over again. I wonder if those are the three ways that God has his people walk as they are in the covenant. Does that make sense? The covenant isn't all roses and chocolate cake, is it? I mean, we're in the covenant and it's glorious, but it involves sojourning, affliction, suffering, serving. I mean, those are all New Testament phrases. So even as he's establishing this covenant with Abram and showing how his people are going to walk through the covenant, I think it's a picture for us. It's, it's a foreshadowing. It's a filling out of the picture for you and I of how we're supposed to do the same thing as we walk through the covenant. So the problem is we like the part of the promise where we get the land. <laughs> where we are so excited about the circumstances we have to walk through to get the land. <laughs> right? We like the part of the covenant where we get the promise, but we're not always that excited about the circumstances we have to walk through on our way to getting the promise. And so God is showing us his character. He's telling us this is how life is, and that's how it's always going to be for my people because I'm not going to change my mind. It's not going to go from suffering and serving and affliction to everything's going to be easy. Follow Jesus and life will be perfect. <laughs> no, it's the same then as it is now. So I want to encourage you this morning. Do not be surprised this week if you find yourself serving in a way that's tiring. If you find yourself afflicted in some way. If you feel like this isn't your home this week, those are all parts of being in the covenant with your God. So there's something about God. The next thing we see about God is in verse 14. We see that God brings judgment, but I'll bring judgment on the nations that they serve. And afterwards, they shall come out with great possessions. So God brings judgment. Abram doesn't know these things fully. God is going to judge sinners who are not part of the covenant. And so he, he shares this with him. And if you look down at verse 16, we see that he's patient even in that. I mean, look at verse 16. He says, And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. In other words, God isn't just like, to slay them now and you can have the land. He's given them 400 years to repent. And they don't. And then their sin reaches a completion. And then God is going to go in and judge them through the sword of God's people. But I just want you to see there's 400 years of patience. People will say the God of the Old Testament is just out slaughtering people. And the God of the New Testament is all love. No. God's patient in the new and he's patient in the old. He judges in the old and he judges in the new. 
His character is consistent. He doesn't change. And his promises and his covenants are meant to prove that to us. And God loves reversals. We learn that. They're going to come out with all these possessions. I mean, how often does God do? He flips things around, right? They're slaves. They have nothing. And the next thing you know, they have it all. The Egyptians are rich and wealthy and powerful. They have everything. God's people have nothing. They're slaves. And then in a matter of days, it's flipped upside down. And the Egyptians are going to be giving them all of their stuff as they walk away free. And God just flips things around. He's preparing. He's showing Abram, this is how I work. I flip things around. I take things you don't expect, Abram, and I make them happen. Which is important to Abram to know that about his God. That God does stuff you don't expect God to do. And so this is meant to be an encouragement to Abram. And then in between the judging, I look at verse 15. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. So you got to get yourself into Abraham's sandals here. He thinks he's going into the promised land. And then he reads, it's not going to be for 400 years. So Abraham goes, am I going to live to be 600? Probably not. Wait a minute, I'm not getting the land? I have to think that this is, I think this is the first time Abram is, that information is shared with Abram. If I'm Abram, I'm going, whoa, 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 time out. And so God inserts that little sentence. Don't worry. You're going to live to be old, and then you're going to be at peace with all of your family. You'll be at peace. Just another, another way for God to show his character, that it doesn't change, that people are in God's covenant, will end up in a place of peace forever with all of his people. And so he shares that with Abram. Abram, don't worry. You're sojourning now. There's going to be all this trial for your people. You're not going to get the land, but I have you covered. People will say the Bible doesn't talk about in the Old Testament about heaven at all. Well, it talks about peace for eternity for Abram. That's good enough for me. For our first glimpse into there's something peaceful happening with God for those who are in covenant with him. It's the first glimpse of heaven in the book of Genesis. So those are all really good things to learn. Things that Abram now knows about God and we know about God. And now it's time to actually act out the covenant. It's time to sign on the dotted line. And so what happens? Well, here's what happens. Verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. (sighs) What does that mean? (laughs) So I try to like, I try to think through these things on my own before I go to other sources, and I got to the end of my own brain power, <laughs> which wasn't that much really, and went some other places. So some say that the smoking pot is Jesus, and the flaming torch is the Holy Spirit that walked through there. Now I don't have enough evidence in anywhere else in Scripture to either prove or deny that. Seems like a little bit of a stretch, but I don't know. The only thing I have to go with, which isn't until later is in, in Exodus, when Moses is up on the mountain, what, what happens? There's smoke and fire, right? There's smoke and fire on the, top of the, on the top of the mountain. And it's the exact same words that are used for smoke and fire there as it is here. And so it seems like this is God 
manifesting his presence in a way that is resembling or looks like a smoking pot and a flaming torch. That seems to be what's going on. So it's God walking. It's God going between the pieces. So we have to ask ourselves the question, why smoking fire and flames? Why does God choose that as a way of manifesting himself as he walks through the pieces? What do you all think about fire and smoke? We think of the Israelites being led. Does fire and smoke bring happy thoughts or sad thoughts? Scary thoughts or joyful thoughts? <laughs> Both? Under these circumstances, it seems as if, if I'm, if I'm understanding the Hebrew correct, because I'm no Hebrew expert, but the work I did is that this is not just like poof, smoke. Poof. This is smoke. There's smoke filling up the area that, that Abram is is smelling and taking in. There's smoke everywhere. And there's flames with smoke everywhere. I think it is this way because we are supposed to feel the danger of God, the seriousness of God, the weightiness of God, because smoke and fire are terrifying. Elizabeth, Abigail, and I know this firsthand. Before I share that, you guys remember when I preached on Noah and how people were drowning, and then I said I went to the beach that week as I'm preparing my sermon, and the father and the son, and they almost drowned. Remember how I shared about when we got to the story where Noah's sons put the sheet on their back, and they walked backwards to cover up his shame, and I shared about my doctor experience? Well, here we go again. <laughs> and I want to share enough so you can see God's hand in the story. So it's at night, I'm loading up the wood stove. I haven't done this yet this season. I shut the door and I say to Elspeth, if I wake up in the middle of the night, and only if, I will reload the wood stove so it'll be warm in the morning. It was one of those nights a couple weeks ago where it was really cold at night. I said, I'll do that. So I say that, we go get ready for bed. Elspeth and I have an ongoing competition, not a fight, over how loud the noise fan should be in our house. I want it loud. I want white noise so loud that I'm in la-la land. She wants it quieter. Well, that night, I was such a wonderful husband. <laughs> it was quieter that night. So we go to bed. At 2.30, I hear something. I'm like, oh, kitty kitty's in the house. Kitty kitty's not in the house usually, but it was cold out, so kitty kitty's in the house. And I'm going, all right. Yeah, we, she doesn't have a name still. And I'm going, okay, <laughs> is it kitty kitty? I'm like, whatever. It wakes me up, and I'm like, oh, dumb cat. And then I remember I said I'd put wood in the wood stove if I happen to wake up. And then I'm like, nah, I don't want to get up. It's cold. So I roll over and get, just snuggle down. A minute or two later, I'm like, oh, I should find out what the sound was, and I should go put wood in the wood stove. So I get to the bottom of the stairs, and I turn the corner into our kitchen, and the back of our house is on fire. There's flames eight feet high, decks on fire, back windows are in flames, and I very calmly reacted. So <laughs> I just don't know how much detail to share. It was just, it was chaos. Just from there, it was chaos. So, so I'm running around the house in my boxers, no shoes on, nothing on my feet, trying to figure out how to get the garden hose to work. It's frozen. Duh. Then I grab the water, we have a water rain barrel. That's frozen too, dummy. You get in that panic mode where you're like, ah. I'm looking at my neighbor's house going, he's got garden hoses, I'll get his. His are frozen too, dummy. Get back in the house. Get a bucket of water. At this point, the, the second pane on our sliding glass door breaks. 
I get a bucket of water from the kitchen, throw it on the fire, and realize that did nothing except entice the smoke. At that point, I went upstairs, 911. Abigail grabs the dog and the cat and her personal belongings and heads out to the driveway. And Elizabeth and I begin to try to get the fire out with buckets of water. It took probably, I mean, well, it took 18 minutes for the fire department to get there. And the house is filled with smoke. Now, I've never been in a fire, so I have no idea. I don't know what to expect. But if you've ever had melting vinyl siding and pressure-treated wood fill your house, it burns, and you can't breathe. And so Elspeth's triple-tasking. She's with a lady on 911, trying to wave the fire, getting our smoke detector to shut off, which was kind of silly because the house is filled with smoke, while she's got the bucket in the sink, on the ground, trying to get fresh air. And then finally we said, we can't do this. So we bail, and we head out of the house. <sighs> Throat burning, not a good experience. We find out later that Frederick County dispatched 23 rescue vehicles. Fire trucks, ambulances, water tankers lined our road. We have pictures of just chaos happening. And the funniest part, so this is a total side, but I have to tell it. The funniest part of the story is the first person to show up on the scene is a police officer. And he comes down there. So Abigail, who's our emergency person, who just knows what to do, she's in the, she's in the driver with her phone waving down the cop because she knew he was just going to drive by because everybody just drives by our house. She gets his attention. He comes down the driveway. I'm running in and out of the front door trying to get buckets of water around the house because I can't go really all the way in the house. He pulls down the driveway. I stop in the driveway. He gets out of the car very tentatively. I'm like, what is this guy's deal? And I'm like, dude, the fire's in the back of the house. And he goes, Fire? I'm here for a domestic violence problem because someone's on acid. And we're like, what? So Elspeth figures out, she's with the lady on 911 going, our house is on fire. The ashes on the deck started a fire. He heard someone is on acid. So this poor dude, I'm like, get your fire extinguisher. Dude, there's a fire. And he's going, um, domestic violence. And we're looking at each other going, no, burning house. <laughs> Well, as the last fire truck rolled out of our driveway, <laughs> Elizabeth turns to me and says, Well, you have been studying about the flaming torch and the smoking fire. <laughs> and that's sort of how the event ended. <laughs> Listen, it was terrifying. I honestly thought, our house is gone. Just get out alive. Smoke is horrible and scary. Listen, it's, it's God's choice to choose to manifest himself that way as fire and as smoke to make a point. He has limited ideas of how he could do that. He could say, I'm going to come as lollipops and butterflies and walk through the pieces. But he doesn't. Why? Why does he choose fire and smoke? And I think the reason is you don't mess with fire. You don't mess with smoke. You don't mess with God. Fire and smoke are dangerous. Listen, God is dangerous. And I think that's the point. Verse 12 adds to that, that the sun is going down. Dreadful and great darkness falls on Abram. Verse 17, the sun has gone down. It's dark. This is a scary, heavy. I mean, imagine 
dark. Picture the Halloween scene. There's fire, there's smoke everywhere, and there's dead bloody animals on the ground. I mean, this is meant to paint a picture of, of serious horror. And then who walks through? Who walks through? God walks through. What is Abram doing when God walks through? He's sleeping. He's asleep. The same word for Abram being asleep is the word that's used for Adam being put to sleep when he loses a rib to create Eve. God is the only one who walks through. God's the only one who's confirming the covenant. God is the only one saying, if I don't keep up my end of the deal, may this happen to me. May my flesh be torn apart. And Abram, if you don't live up to your end of the deal, may my flesh be torn apart. Do you see what God's doing? He's creating a covenant. It's a bloody covenant. It's a scary covenant. And it's a covenant that only God walks through in fire and in smoke. He passes through flesh and blood. Do you see the foreshadowing? I mean, this is just a foreshadowing of a covenant that is yet to come. By passing between the dead and bloody animals alone, God is promising that if he does not keep the promise, he will suffer the curse of the animals with the broken bodies. And if Adam, if Abraham doesn't, that he will also suffer the curse. See, there's no question to me whether this is a foreshadowing. God is showing how covenant functions. It's all about God. And every covenant from there on out is really all about God. See, this is the gospel. This covenant is not 50% man, 50% God. It's not a partnership. It's all God. By walking through the pieces, God is saying, may my flesh be destroyed if I don't end, live up to my end. And the same with you, Abram. If you do not live up to your end, I will receive the punishment. And we know that Abram does not live up to his end. He is not perfect. And so we see this in Christ, where we foreshadow another day, where Jesus comes and it gets dark in the middle of the day and it gets scary. And Jesus absorbs the wrath of God on his body and on his soul. And a covenant is made as his body is broken and as blood drips from his head and from his hands and from his feet. See, this covenant foreshadows a future covenant at Calvary where Jesus would be cut for us, where God would cut a covenant by cutting his son so that we could be spiritually alive. God consistently, multiple times throughout the Old Testament, now into the New, creates covenants. And the covenants are all about God and what God does and God's part. And this covenant is no different. This is a covenant that we participate in only by faith. That's your contribution. Other than the sin that God so graciously forgives, the only other thing you bring to the covenant is believing, is faith. So do you believe this this morning? 
Do you believe that only God could take the punishment? Only God could take the wrath? Only God could shed his blood? Only God's body could be broken in order for you to enter into covenant relationship with him by faith? I encourage you this morning to to think about faith, to think about your faith and what faith is like. I've heard the illustration used many times, and I'll end with this, that faith is like a chair, and you put the chair down, and then to have faith, you sit in the chair, you trust the chair, and that that is like Jesus. You, You trust Jesus by depending on him, by leaning into him. That is a terrible illustration. Unless that chair is the most beautiful chair in the universe. Unless that chair is set apart like no other chair. Unless that chair is so beautiful, so irresistible, so glorious, so all-satisfying that you say, I've got to have the chair. That's faith. Faith is not just saying I might sit down in it. Faith is saying I must have Christ. And so I ask you this morning, is that the posture of your heart? Do you say, I, I, I want to have faith. I want to have faith that doesn't waver. I want to have faith that keeps getting stronger. Then keep looking at the covenant of God. Look at God's unchangeable character, how he interacts with people, so that your heart will grow with faith and trust for him. So you're finding yourself believing more in who he is and what he does. So you'll see these attributes of God, as even as they're laid out in Genesis 15, as true of God today. Because the way that God interacts with Abram is the same way he interacts with us today. And he's not going to change, which is so good. That means tomorrow he's not going to say, you know what, I decided that you guys have to be good enough now to earn forgiveness. I decided to put your good works and your bad works on a scale, and we'll see how it goes. God's not going to change the way he does the covenant. It's sealed by his character and the promise that is only by faith in Christ in Christ alone, that you can be made right with God. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. We're going to sing a song. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I pray right now for my friends, those whose faith is wavering and tired, that you would please impart fresh faith that you would give them hope. Lord, I pray that you would give them courage to share with others that their faith is weak. God, I ask that you would not allow anyone in this room to waver in any way. But Lord, that we together as a family would go stronger in our faith, in our believing in you, in our loving you, in our treasuring you, in our adoring you. Help us, I pray. Grow our faith stronger and give us confidence, a growing confidence. Please, I pray that, God, your character never changes, that the character we see in your covenants are the same today as they always have been and that we can count on you to not change. And so we thank you for Genesis 15. I pray you'd help us to believe everything that chapter says about who you are. And may we love you more for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.